0: Thank you, Steve. Wow, this thing's coming over pretty strong, huh? Get outside of here. Uh, good morning to Village Church. It's good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Worship together to lift up the name of Jesus, to worship him. God is good. God is worthy to be praised by all his creation, by all of us. Just a reminder today, uh, today is a call to the National Day of Prayer and Fasting for our nation Uh, We have an election coming up shortly, and in uh, November 3rd, right around the corner here, we we need prayer for our country. So throughout the day, take a little time aside, put some normal things aside maybe, and and just pray for our nation, pray for our church, pray for each other here. We're going to start a new series today. And we're going to go through an Old Testament book in a wisdom section of the Bible, The Wisdom section of the Bible is made up of five books. We have Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And we'll be looking into the book of Ecclesiastes today. We'll start this morning off by an introduction to the book, and I'll try to cover, thank you, Ralph, try to cover the uh, first chapter. And as Ralph has just reminded me, I still have my mask on. And hopefully... Keeping the mask on for a few minutes now, you'll remember the title, at least, of today's sermon, and that's the Preacher's Breath. The Preacher's Breath. Can you hear me now? At that point, I'm going to take it off, but remember, the Preacher's Breath, because with those couple of words, hopefully you'll remember some of the points of the sermon today. It's not working now, huh? Worked better with the mask on. Are we okay there? Can you hear okay there? The preacher's breath. With his time with COVID all around us, we're reminded of wearing our masks. I don't know how many times I've walked out of the car to go to a store and had to turn back and go back and get it. I'm sure many of you have done the same thing. And again, again, it's to retain or stop moisture from going around whatever the purpose they have on, on, on these things are for us to, again, be considered for one another. But again, the reason why I kept it on for a few minutes is just to give you a, a visual of the preacher's breath. There should be notes in your inserts in, in, the, in the bulletin today if you choose to use them. There's a couple of points you want to make out. That's fine. It will probably help us through the whole series. Book of Ecclesiastes. Now, what does the title mean, Ecclesiastes. And a simple one-word definition or one-word title to it might be just called the preacher. It's the one who addresses the assembly, the preacher. It's used about, the word preacher is used about seven times throughout the book. Now the author of the book, although it is not specifically mentioned or named, we can get a a good reference of, of who wrote it and most people feel that it's Solomon who wrote the book. The first verse of chapter 1 states, the words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And verse 12 of the same chapter states, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And we know that one of the followers of King David was Solomon as being one of the kings in Jerusalem. In addition, in the last chapter of the of the book of Ecclesiastes, says, in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered and searched out and arranged many proverbs. These verses kind of suggest that the preacher could very well have been Solomon. Now, assuming that Solomon was the author of the book here, we can attribute two books and a great deal of a third book to him as being the author. First is probably he authored the Song of Solomon, which appears to be written in his, what I would call his morning years of his life, his early years. It poetically deals with passionate romance and courtship and love. Secondly, he wrote a good deal of the book of Proverbs, not all of Proverbs, but a good deal of it. And this would be probably written in his, what I would call the noontime years of his life, his more mature life uh, but still in the middle years of his life. Now this book what? It encourages us, it gives us wisdom in our everyday life. They're like heavenly rules for earthly living. It warns us about the dangers and pitfalls that we might face and hopefully avoid. Then we come to Ecclesiastes. Now Ecclesiastes I would like to say is written in the evening years of his life, the sunset years. What would be more like the reflective years? You're looking back at your past and perhaps maybe regretting some of the decisions that you made or some of the paths you took. Now, when we look at Proverbs, we see this as a book of wisdom. Look at Ecclesiastes. Some people have described it as a book of foolishness. It's like an autobiography of life that to struggle to find satisfaction but without God, apart from God. It mostly describes uh, human philosophy and reasoning apart from God. Some atheists and cynics have quoted from this book and they use it rather freely, not always correctly, but freely. And even a popular song of the late 50s written by Pete Seeger sung by many artists and popularized by a band, an American band at that, uh, called The Birds in 1965. I don't know if any of you remember The Birds. You could say the song was for the birds. I don't know, but the song was based on the first eight verses of chapter three of the book. Remember the name of the song, anybody? It's called Turn, Turn, Turn. What led up to those words was, there is a season, turn, turn, turn. Now, the the book's theme centers on man trying to live a fulfilled life apart from God, a life centered on the here and now. Solomon ultimately shows the absurdity of this. Solomon, who was given wisdom from God to rule his people wisely, tried every course and endeavor, every pleasure of life, and concluded all is vanity, all is vanity. A vanity is basically the key word to the book. It occurs between 38, 39 times, something like that. And the uh, American Heritage Dictionary first use of the word or, or the how it's used today basically is, means excessive pride or conceit, vanity. You're so vain, there's a song out for that too, right? But the second use of the word, which is what is implied here, is more about futility, worthlessness, vanity. And that's how it's generally used throughout the passages we will be looking into. Now the word vanity comes from a word for breath or breeze, maybe even vapor. It could probably be best illustrated for us when we think of the vapor or the breath that you breathe out when you exhale on a cold day. Your warm breath that comes out has moisture in it, and it comes out, it looks almost like steam, but the properties of it, it stays for a little while, and then it disappears. There's nothing to it. You know, you can't grasp it. You can't put it in your pocket. You can't can't touch it, and then it disappears, and you don't see it again. There's an old saying that basically says uh, if something disappears real quickly, you say it vanishes into thin air. Now, vanity also is talked about as being a breeze. And you think about the wind or a breeze. You know, you can't really understand where it comes from per se. You don't know where it's going to go. It em- it's basically empty. It doesn't contain anything. There's no tangible substance to it. You can't control it and it doesn't listen to any commands. These are the kind of properties that are associated and keep them in mind when we hear the word vanity being used. Now vanity is used in different ways for different things throughout the book in describing different things. With regard to man's activities, the things we do, it kind of means something that's fleeting or transitory, doesn't stay still. When it's used in regards to man's experience, especially on this sin-cursed earth, it really means something by being futile or meaningless. And it's also used in regard to life's unanswerable questions like the mysteries of God's purposes and stuff. And at that point, it really means something that is uncomprehensible, unknowable, unobtainable. So vanity is used a few different ways for different things in different situations. But again, keep in mind the fact that it comes from the word breeze or breath. Preacher's breath. The key phrase in the book, which occurs almost 29 times, is under the sun. Under the sun, and that's S-U-N. And it applies an earthly view of things. A view that really excludes the eternal prospectus of life. What's after it? It's a view of life that does not consider God central in it. And maybe even excludes him from it. Under the sun. Another interesting phrase that is throughout the book is, I said in my heart, or I said to myself. This phrase is used in a way that introduces a conclusion to something that has just happened before it. And it's based upon someone's own intellect, or own reasoning, or the experiment that just took place. I said in my heart. Now we see Solomon conducting multiple experience, uh, experiments throughout this book, seeking satisfaction, seeking fulfillment. He tries the sciences. He tries looking at the laws of nature. He l- searches and looks and obtains wisdom and philosophies. All sorts of pleasures in life he indulges into, all sorts of materialism, with the conclusion that each of these experiments are described in human terms, not necessarily in godly wisdom. Now, Solomon basically writes this book with a purpose in mind to warn young people. Now, he's older in his age at this point, but he's warning younger people not to go through life's way, life's pathway, with human wisdom. Now with these points in mind, let's turn in your Bible to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And please follow as I read. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 1. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 797. And I'll try to read through the whole chapter without stumbling too much. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does a man have in all his work which is done under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Blowing toward the south, and turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along and on its circular courses the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome; man is not able to tell it, an eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, See, this is new? Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of latter things which will occur there will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I've set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all that were Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, And I've realized that this also is striving after wind because in much wisdom, there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. God bless the reading of his word. Let's take a minute out just to pray as we go into these verses. Father God, give us wisdom and understanding as we look into this book. Help us to apply the truths of your word to our lives and to make us more like Christ. For we know that this is your desire for us. Help us to see life above the sun. Give us an eternal view of what life is really about, an abundant life filled with your presence each moment of each day. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a look at the text now. Verses 1 through 3, I'll repeat them. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem Vanities of vanities, the preacher says. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does a man have in all his work which was done under the sun? We see here that the book itself begins with a conclusion Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. Basically, it is saying that life is fleeting. Nothing is really gained. We are kind of left empty at the end of it. Now, after 40 years of ruling Israel, building structures, one of which was a magnificent Solomon's temple, is overseeing a long period of peace in Israel. Life at the top of the world with all the riches, all the power, all the education and wisdom, it's like a breath, like a breeze, like a vapor. It's nothingless. It's empty. It's empty under the sun. All is vanity. Verses 4 through 7 says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Blowing toward the south and then turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers, they flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from where the rivers flow, there they flow again. What are we saying here? Life is repetitive. Life is repetitive, 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 repetitive. We see in verses here four, we we see Solomon speaking as a philosopher about the course of life. Verse five, kind of like an astronomer of the circle of the sun. And verse six, like a meteorologist, talking about this the circuits of the the wind going around. And verse seven talks like he's a hydrologist. This is all pre-science now, like a hydrologist. He speaks of the cycle of water on the earth. Think how far back he's describing these things and how these are sciences today. Verse 4 states, as the philosopher, a generation goes and a generation comes, but on earth, uh, uh, the earth remains forever. We see here basically the, the repetition or the cycle of human life people die. People are born and replace them, only to be pr- replaced later on when they die. It's a circle of life. Generations come and generations go, and nothing really changes. Death being the great equalizer of us all, everyone who is born will someday die unless the Lord comes back in that generation. The older we get, the more vivid these pictures appear. It starts usually with the death of maybe our great-grandparents and maybe then our parents, excuse me, our grandparents and then our parents, and maybe our parents' as friends and co-workers maybe and close friends and brothers and sisters. We end up attending more funerals than we do weddings. These people who pass in our lives are replaced, replaced with our children, maybe grandchildren. We get new... Co-workers, we get new neighbors, new friends. See the cycle? I don't think anyone in this room was here 100 years ago. At least I hope not. <laughs> and I don't think any of us in this room will be here a 100 years from now. But the cycle of life continues. If the Lord doesn't tarry, the cycle of life will continue. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Verse five, he goes on to illustrate this with a few examples. Looks like he's speaking about the, an astronomer here being, the sun rises and the sun sets and it hastens to its place where it rises again. Now standing on the earth here, we, we see the sun rising in the east. It travels overhead and it sets in the west. And within a few hours, it comes back, and it does the same thing over again, only to do the same thing again and again and again, day after day after day. Time doesn't stop. It doesn't care. We can't change it. We can't escape it, but it continues on. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And in verse 6, it talks like a meteorologist here, right? Blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north. The wind continues swirling around on its courses. The wind returns again. Here Solomon basically describes the global jet screams in the atmosphere. Wind goes on its path throughout the earth and winds up in the same place where it started from, only to do the same thing again and again and again. Margaret Mitchell In her classic book, Gone with the Wind, which is made into a famous movie, implies this very thing. Everything in life, sooner or later, vanishes. It's like the wind, like a breeze, like a breath. It's gone, gone with the wind. Verse 7, we have Solomon here pointing out, as a hydrologist, basically, that the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. We know water runs down from the mountains and the rivers. They form lakes and they eventually go into streams and end up in the ocean eventually. Now the ocean waters, they get warm from the sun. Evaporation occurs and they form moist clouds in the atmosphere. Now the wind carries these clouds to different places and they get into cooler areas and rain falls. Now if the wind blows hard enough and they come across a mountain, they get forced up into the mountain ranges, right? And when it gets cooler up there, it falls as snow. Rain, slush, whatever. Earth tilts a little bit and what happens? It warms up during the summertime and what happens? The waters flow again into streams, into lakes, into water, and eventually go right back into the seas or the ocean and it goes again. Here again, example of the repetition, the repetition that there is all around us in life. This cycle of the earth's water continues again and again. Another example of an endless repetition of the life under the sun. Verse 8 says, All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, or see this is new? Already it has existed for the ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the latter things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will Come later still. But I'll tell you, bored here. Boredom. Frustrated unfulfilled with the what? The repetitions of life. So life is repetitive. Here we see life basically being unfulfilled. Life is unfulfilling. Life is unfulfilling. All things are wearisome for me. Man is not able to tell. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. Bored, wearisome, unsatisfied. We get up each day. We go to work. We go to work, we come home. We eat the same regiments of meals. We turn on a TV. It has over 300 channels on it. We can't find anything to watch. So we we watch something that we've seen in the past just to amuse ourselves for a little time. We watch a rerun of something. Isn't that true? I mean, that's how it seems like it is. Can't find anything to watch on TV. And there's still nothing to watch. The eye is not satisfied. The eyes see, they reach a point of never being satisfied or fully seeing anything. We hear music. We like the song, so we play it again, and again, and again to the point where we kind of get tired of it. Here's a song that we like, we keep playing, we listen to it again to the point where we get tired of it. No matter how much we hear with the ear, it's not filled. When I'm saying that, I'm saying it's not completely satisfied. We're always listening or wanting to hear something new. We continue along with something new. We never really get full. We're never really satisfied under the sun. So life is repetitive. Life is unfulfilling. And life is boring. Verse 9 through 11. That which has been done is that which will be done. Excuse me, I'll let me repeat that. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see, this is new? Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also of the latter things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Again here, we see the boredom, the frustration, the unfulfilled things that happen with the repetitions that are in life. Why? There's, There's nothing fresh. There's nothing new. What is going on has happened in the past already. What will be done has been done before. There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, you might say that, you know, man landed on the moon. That's all new. Is it really? I mean, maybe might that's the first time for that. But explorations themselves have been going on forever. The discovery of America. The discovery of things deep in the sea. The discovery of things out in outer space. Explorations have been going on forever. Well, texting, new cell phones, the latest gadgets. That's all new, right? Well, Communication in itself has been going on forever. People have been communicating since Adam and Eve. We talk, written communications occurred. Then they have telegraphs, then telephones, and now texting, who knows what will be next. Maybe we'll be able to think each other's thoughts eventually through some sort of device. Nothing new under the sun. Mankind longs for something that would break this constant, repetitive cycle something said, something heard that would be new and significant and satisfying. But there's nothing under the sun. Life is repetitive. Life is unfulfilling. Life is boring. And on top of that, nothing's going to be remembered. There's no remembrance, verse 11, there's no remembrance of of earlier things and also the latter things which will occur, there'll be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. A couple examples come to my mind, and uh, one of which I wrote down here is basically, I've been retired for about five years now, a little over five years. If I go back to, I've been employed there with with my employee for about almost 35 years. If I go back to the last building I worked in there, This is only five and a half years past. I don't think half the people in that building would know who I am. How things change. You know how things change. Time moves on. The things that were so vital to us of our everyday working and occurrence and stuff will, will go very dim in time. They won't seem as important and eventually they'll be forgotten and not remembered by those even around us and definitely not remembered by those who come after us. Verses 12 through 15, thoughts of this. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I've seen all the works that were done under the sun, and behold... All is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened and what is lacking cannot be counted. Here we see the preacher. He set out to explore by wisdom all that was done under heaven. He wanted to discover what all this life is all about. He was on a quest for satisfaction for meaning to life. Now this task that God, the sovereign creator of the universe, has given to us, each one of us basically are afflicted with this. It's within us, whether we know it or not. We all have this emptiness that needs to be filled. We're constantly searching for trying to stuff all sorts of things into that, to trying to fill the hole. My kids, as they were growing up, we used to have tapes which was called the the Donut Man. I don't know if any of your kids are familiar with that. And had the Donut Man, the idea was we're always trying to fill that hole with something. And it can only be filled with one thing. Solomon, verse 14, says that, I've seen all the works that were done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. He saw it all, and it was all vanity. It was like a breath, like the breeze like striving after the wind. You can run after the wind. You really can't catch it. You can't hold on to it. You can't take it and put it in a box. Striving after the wind, not accomplishable. Verse 15 says, that which is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Carol and myself were in a house of dear friends not too long ago, and they just had their floors redone. They came out beautiful. They were gorgeous. These floors, and it, there were slight imperfections. Little cupping occurs after time. It's wood. No matter how much you polish it, no matter how much you sand it, no matter how many coats of lacquer or whatever you do on it, on top of it, it's still wood, and it's affected by your surroundings. It's affected by the moisture in the air. It's affected by the temperature. So what happens to it? It changes a little bit. You can't make it perfect. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Obviously, you can't count something if it's not there. It seems pretty obvious. Verses 16 through 18 said, And I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I realize that this also is striving after wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Solomon, with all his education and all his learning, all his wisdom, more than any that were before him. And with his heart, with his mind, determined to know wisdom and to, and to come to this meaning of satisfaction in life under the sun, he even tries to the point of the opposite of wisdom, which is what? Sanity, opposite, excuse me, of sanity and wisdom, which would be madness and folly. He's even trying that course and concluded the whole mess. He says, That is also like striving after the wind. All those courses that he endeavored to follow. And he gives some of the reason here because, verse 18, because in much wisdom there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. We're taught by the secular world and it's pushed upon us in our schools and our colleges and in. The education system, that science, that education, that higher learning solves all the problems of the world. It's being pushed a lot in political ads now. We're going to solve everything by science. Not that science is bad, but all this education and stuff. Josh McDowell often reminded students when he was speaking on college campuses that if education, was the key to life, then the universities would be the most moral, most ethical, most spiritual centers of a nation. Think of how that worked out. The more Solomon learned, the sadder he became. The more we know, speaking of worldly knowledge, the more we increase our problems. Science has given us all sorts of new devices, new gadgets, cell phones, laptops, GPS devices. list goes on and on and on and on. And somehow we're almost forced to use each and one of these thr- to get through the day anymore. Can't order airline tickets, you can't, you know, can't find your way around without one of these devices just about. These are the devices almost controlling our lives now. I don't know about you, but I'm still an analog guy. I, I get frustrated, I get aggravated with all these new devices. I find them very hard sometimes to to work and learn how to use And as soon as you learn how to use some, they change it and you have to learn a new program or do something different or update it, have to spend more money to update your device to get it to work right. It's very aggravating to me. I get very frustrated by it all and it seems like the more this education, the more the wisdom that comes on from the world, the sadder I become. I mean I get frustrated at these things, you're about ready to throw it out, you know. Remember these saying, ignorance is bliss? Or how about the other one that sometimes people say, it says, uh, you really don't want to know, right? You really don't want to know. Why? Because Sometimes the things we get to know aren't, don't make our life any easier sometimes. There can be problems coming at you. And increasing knowledge results sometimes in increasing pain. That's what Solomon's saying here. Now Solomon's pessimism is all connected basically at this point in his latter years to some extent with a disconnect with God. And this is how our friends and our relatives who don't know the Savior are living life like. Life is empty for them. You know, sure they may be busy, they may be running to sports, running to here, buying something new, trying to get the latest, but basically they're trying to fill that hole life for them is really empty. It's void, and it can't be filled with all these earthly things. Balise Pasquale was a brilliant thinker and scientist and mathematician and inventor. He's said to have read John 17, verse 3, and it says this in that verse, And this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And that verse changed his life. He came to a realization in in his writings and stuff, and he wrote this, and I wanna read it slowly, and think about what it says. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that cannot be filled by any created thing but by God alone, made known through Jesus Christ. That's a brilliant statement. If you or I as believers live each day of our lives understanding that our existence, our labors, our basic provisions in life are all gifts from God, we have an abundant life. Because God is the center of that life. one tries to satisfy the human longings in our lives without the Lord, life will be empty no matter how much of the world's earthly knowledge, the world's earthly possessions one has accumulated. It's going to be empty. Without Jesus Christ, we can never be completely satisfied. Amen? Amen? There was a saying, I used to have it hanging on a I'm those magnetic plaques on a wall in our refrigerator when I was growing up. And it said this, if you have everything but Jesus, you have nothing. But if you have nothing but Jesus, you have everything. That's another amen, amen? Don't live life under the sun. Live it above. Live life above the sun. Set your mind under things above. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3, states this. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let's finish in prayer here.